0: You've got to fucking die to get three points.
1: When Arsenal knocks on the door of players, it's a different knock than other clubs. Maybe we'll have a good surprise for you. That's Vieira! Absolutely fantastic! Thierry Henry, he scored! He scored for Arsenal! It is
0: just what Thierry Emery and does.
1: welcome back to the different knock podcast with alexander money penny my very good friend bradley adams and i'm delighted to say and studio audience get ready to welcome rohan who is at rj arsenal blog to the podcast here he is that's the second time that's far too much i love that
2: intro i love that intro
1: (laughs) thank you so much for coming on the podcast man how you doing
2: Yeah, good, thanks. Um, Yeah, I'm really excited to be on. I've said before that I'm going to try and feature on more podcasts and YouTube channels because it's something that I've just... I enjoy talking about Arsenal, enjoy talking about football, and it's just a good way to engage with a different audience as well, um, as well as, you know um writing things as well so yeah yeah really excited to be on and um yeah thanks for the opportunity
1: no problem you're in the right place well and that's and that's what we wanted to start so you you write for various arsenal columns and what so tell me about yourself how do you how did you get into it how do you write who do you write for what do you write with a pen why on earth did you decide to support arsenal (laughs) that is a good question well i think uh, a good way
2: to start is um when I started supporting Arsenal, and that was in 2006, where um, my mum and dad brought me a first Arsenal shirt. And um, since that day, I've been consistently following the club. And in fact, I am obsessed with, with Arsenal, and I've not missed a game in the last nine years, and that's including pre-seasons. Wow. And I'm, <laughs> wow.
1: not, I'm, not,
2: I'm not even joking. This is People call, call it ridiculous, but I'm just obsessed. It really pains me of the thought of missing an Arsenal game live. I, I don't want to watch it on catch-up. It's got to be in that moment. And, I love um, that.
1: Can you remember, do you have that kind of brain that remembers games oh, yeah, yeah I, can,
2: I can remember a lot of, like if you'd probably name me a, an Arsenal game over the years, I could potentially know the
1: scoreline, who scored for us. Go on, Brad, should we test him?
0: Oh. Um, <laughs>
1: Put you on the spot. Oh, God. <laughs> okay, so I, I went to go and see this game, right? It was Arsenal in the 1819 season. We were at home against Watford. Do you remember that? Yes.
2: Um, 18 1819. That was Emery's first season, right? Yep. Um, it was 2-0. It was two late goals. I remember it was um, an own goal by Kafka, and it was, I think Erzl scored. Oh my god. <laughs>
0: Um, I'm, right. not I- I'm not joking i'm not joking i'm serious here we go i've, I've got I've, I've got a niche one for you i went wait, to wait, see this game Brad, did you test that was that right um i'll test uh yeah he's bang on i'm pretty sure
1: right <laughs> 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 we could do um, this all night mate. i remember
2: i remember <laughs> it was it was it was bern leno's um premier league debut as well because Petacek came off injured in the 35th mm. minute or something just oh before my half time. Oh, I yeah. think he's
0: even got the fucking times right as well. That's a madness. All right, <laughs> well, got, just I've sticks got a... with me. Yeah, go on. <laughs> Here's a niche one for you. I saw this game live. Um, Arsenal v QPR in 2012. Oh, come on. That is... <sighs> that's, hard, that's niche. Is it, that is was it niche. at home? Yeah, it at Arsenal v QPR at home.
2: Oh, God. I feel like I can remember the away game. I think we won 2-1, I feel. You, uh... We probably
1: did. i think
2: charlie austin played in that season didn't he for qpr
1: yeah he did he did
2: yeah (laughs) oh my god well rohan Uh, what a
1: way to introduce yourself to the podcast (laughs) incredible so tell us about your writing before we just make you a sort of dancing performing dolphin or something (laughs) sing for me
2: uh yeah so I i started writing um last year it was actually in june 2020 and it was when pretty much lockdown started to commence and um it's something that I wanted to do for a while but I just couldn't commit because I had um, commitments such as uni doing an engineering degree and that's just it's so highly demanding and it's intense and you don't get time to really do things outside of that at times um, but then after applying for jobs and then COVID came it became very difficult to really get any success from that um, in terms of finding a graduate job so I thought I'd pursue writing so I write, I wrote my first article for Um, for myself just on a free wix site i shared it on um, a new twitter account that i made and it received a decent amount of attention and i got my first opportunity to write for gunnerstown and i've been consistently writing for them over the past year looking at scouting reports match reviews player analysis and i've also been doing um, in-depth twitter threads because i think it's important to understand that not everyone likes to read from an article they Mm -hmm. like to read through twitter so it's kind of meeting the demands of your audience. And I've just been really consistent on that front. And that's something I'm, I've am i been quite proud of um, in terms of just keeping up to date with it. And yeah, um, recently I received an opportunity to freelance for the Arsenal Review, where I've been um, writing a weekly column, a tactical column. Um, so yeah, it's going really good. And um, mm. I've, I'm just looking forward to what the future entails you know i'm not perfect i don't think i'll ever will be perfect because there's always ways ways to improve but you know it is when i look at the latest article that i've done and compare it to the one i first wrote it's chalk and cheese and that's what makes me really happy because i've improved a lot and hopefully in a year's time i can say the same thing about the article that i did now and then comparing it
1: to absolutely to one absolutely. in the years time. So well, listen, man, the, the articles are fantastic. Your tactical insight is incredible, and the way you can break it down for a just on a Twitter thread is 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 really impressive. Uh, #Hashtag Welcome Rohan. Uh, yeah. Right, <laughs> shall we? Uh, shall we get to some football then? So we are recording the day after uh, England. Uh, was it? Yeah, it was last night. I was so drunk that I sort of can't remember. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the group chat uh, was popping off. England's 4-0 win over Ukraine. Uh, we'll start with you, Rohan. Where did you watch? What did you think?
2: Um, I watched it at home, actually. Yeah, a little bit more boring than... Um, oh, I was what,
0: at home what too,
1: what mate. We are. <laughs> yeah, it's so not, was
0: I, mate. We're three for three. <laughs> yeah, it's not not the most spectacular venues, but uh, yeah, I watched it with
2: my family and um, yeah, it was really good. You know, it was a, it was a very good performance and... I've been really impressed with England throughout this tournament and um, I've been really surprised because I predicted before the tournament started that they'd go out in the round of 16 because I looked at um, some of the competition around them, the likes of you know, Portugal, Germany and France. And um, I just felt that they would come up short when they played better opposition, but they've been brilliant. And I think you look at Gareth Southgate, I'm not a huge fan of his, but I'm a great believer in give, in praising people when they deserve it. And I think he's done a really good job in this tournament. And there's been some games, particularly the Croatia game, where I think that was one of his best performances as a manager in terms of tactically. Um, because if we, if we just go to that game where you look at Croatia on paper, those three midfielders, Modric, Brozovic and Kovacic, they're three players who are so technically secure on the ball. They recycle possession so well. And they're just really good at having control in the game. But Southgate knew that and um, his team selection kind of showed the intent that England were going to have from the get-go in terms of being aggressive whenever they received the ball. They didn't give them time and space on the ball. And they just disrupted the the tempo that Croatia could play at. And they just were really good at sustaining pressure, although they didn't create much. But I think that they did really well in terms of just having a foothold in the game. And they obviously went on to win that win that match. Um, the Scotland game was a little bit more disappointing, but I think you you have to kind of also understand from Scotland's perspective, they were always going to raise their levels because it's in a major tournament playing against England at Wembley. It was never going to be an easy game. And um, despite it being disappointing, I think you can kind of understand why um, it wasn't the most spectacular performances from them. Absolutely. And, you know, you know, the Czech Republic game, they made a lot of rotation and um, it was a very good first half performance, particularly from our boy Saka, um, who did Yay! really good. <laughs> yeah, um, Yeah, that was really good to see. And then, then going into the knockout stages, um, I thought they did really well against Germany. Um, I was really surprised with the way that they performed. And one, one thing I'll give a lot of credit to Southgate is I think he understands that with this current England team, whilst there's so much quality, particularly in the front line, he's understood that he has to be pragmatic and he has to understand that dependent on who they're playing, he has to tinker the, uh, the formation and the way that they're structured. Like Germany the game that they really did well in was against Portugal. And the reason why was they did, re- they did they were really good at exploiting the wide areas with the likes of Gosins and Kimmich. And Southgate understood that because he moved into a back five. He countered those wing backs, prevented them from having space. And um, it was just a formation that gave them a lot of structure and defensive stability. And again, they were really good um, in terms of hunting the ball back quickly. And um, they got two very good goals as well. And um, they deserved to go through. And yesterday, it was a different type of pressure. You know, mm-hmm. Ukraine, everyone was expecting England to win that game. So whilst against Germany, although they were favourites, there were a lot of people who thought, including myself, that Germany would go through. Against Ukraine, you're banking on England to win. And um, they got through that test really comfortably. You know, absolutely smashed them, didn't they? So Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, um, I think they've done really well. And um, on paper, it's really favourable to get to the final. And if they do go through Denmark... It's ninety minutes of football, well, unless extra time goes on, um, from them winning the Euros. So it, it's
1: a, they've got a great chance. And uh, we, Brad and I have had this discussion a couple of times on the podcast, and it's you, you raise some fascinating points about Southgate, and I, I think when a coach doesn't have enough time, you sort of have two two sort of ends of the spectrum. You have a coach like Wenger, who is all about focusing on our patterns of play, our our movement, you know, coaching our team. We play our One football, sort of. Yeah, no matter what. One and, move. And you have a Mourinho who is more reactive, or you know, an Emery who looks looks more at the other side of the team. And I think with someone like Southgate and with international football, especially when you don't have that time, I do think this kind of slightly more reactive, slightly more uh, what, looking at the opposition, as you say, looking at a team uh, with backs and you know, like Germany. And and you know, I've said it this a few times on the podcast. I can't believe the way Portugal played against Germany. I mean, it was just yeah. unbelievable. Yeah, it and was been, crazy. Yeah, I think when you don't have that time, I think someone like Southgate who I have you know I have my issues with as well in that I don't think he can ever coach or I've certainly have not seen evidence of him coaching particularly interesting attacking play I do think for tournament football I think he's an excellent guy and by all accounts behind the scenes he sounds like he's absolutely smashing it and he's a very well-liked guy 100%
0: yeah I agree with that yeah because yeah, tournament football so fickle isn't it? it you know the one thing that we judge or that Wenger gets very harshly judged on is the kind of idea that he never managed to get in that Champions League but it's like like we've said it's 90 minutes of football possibly if we get through the Danes that stand between kind of us and and these lads and then writing themselves completely in the history books and and one one wrong misstep one one anything and that can either go for you or against you and the ties decided almost so having somebody who is more reactive to kind of, especially because it's not like, obviously with things like the Champions League, there's more games. You're looking at two-legged fixtures. Like this is literally like one game, one game, one game, lots of different opponents. It it, it definitely is a positive to have a manager who doesn't, who who seems to quite well this tournament, look at what the opposition does and aim to kind of combat that
1: yeah and, and what have you made of the tournament overall I, I mean it's had everything I mean like you know from the kind of sublime to the ridiculous in terms of goals from you know the events obviously the tragic events of the the situation with Christian Eriksen, as well as some incredible you know knockings out of France and, and all that sort of stuff I mean it's it's had everything really that was for Rohan that was bad hosting go on
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah i, 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 I I've seen a lot of people say they've kind of been disappointed with this Euros. I've been really entertained by it. There's yeah, been some really same. good games. Um, yeah, like you said, the, the France-Switzerland game, um, that, that oh. was incredible. You know, like, um, the way Switzerland played in that game, I, I was really impressed with them, um, particularly in terms of how they reacted out as well after going two goals down, um, when they were 3-1 down and their reaction after going, um, uh, going in that um, kind of fashion and there was the Croatia game as well the Croatia-Spain match um, the ridiculous um, goal by um, well it was given to Pedri I felt so sorry for him yeah. because it was <laughs> <laughs> it, you know it was it was the goalkeeper's fault Unai Simon but yeah going to that game I, what I really liked in in that particular match was even though he made that blunder Unai Simon his reaction after making that was brilliant he made some key saves and I always think for a goalkeeper. So many people were looking at, it, oh, he's made a mistake, and he has. You know, it's a massive blunder. But you still have to be able to kind of put that to the back of your mind and go again and um, make important saves uh, when your team needs you, and you did that. So mm. yeah, that was a, that was a really good game. The Portugal Germany game as well. Like like you said, I, I couldn't believe the way Portugal set up in that match, and you know. Every single goal, there was a familiar pattern in terms of the way Kimmich was um, playing crossfield balls to Gosens, and then Gosens um, creating the width out wide, having so much space. Havertz as well roaming between the lines, and they, they caused them so many problems, and they just didn't react. and I was quite astonished um, because it was just so easy for them in an yeah. attacking sense. Um, yeah, there's been there's been some dull games as well, but I've been I've been really entertained. Yeah,
1: yeah, it's been fascinating. Brad, is it coming home? I I think it can. I think this this if this is going to be like Get off the fence. We, I, I think
0: it is. I think it is. I think that with the one thing that I think England have really got going for them is momentum. I think that more than any other team that seems to be in this tournament, and that could just be because I'm an English man. I watch English presentation of of the of the tournament. Um, You know, we've not conceded a goal and we've conceded an XG against of 3.37. So that's a massive positive. We're scoring at a great rate. Harry Kane's finally getting on the score sheet. And I think one thing that we saw with Kane uh, since scoring is almost that mental switch. I noticed it a little last night in that Ukraine game that after he re like it felt like he realized he didn't have to be at left wing back for some stupid reason. (laughs) And he was actually getting in the places where he is absolutely deadly. So I think the momentum that England have got going into the game with the Danes, and then if we go through them going into that final, I think Southgate is probably one of the perfect men for that atmosphere to G up the players. You know, one thing that can be said about, so there are some phenomenal tactical managers out there, but sometimes you need the... um, Oh God! What's his name? there? you've got to fucking die to get three points. Oh, kind uh, of Neil Warnock. <laughs> Neil Warner. Do you know what I mean? Sometimes you need in certain games that kind of. Yeah. Let's go, lads. We 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 are. That was like, a really good impression. Going for this. <laughs> it was really good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's because I've heard that clip so many fucking times. But I really, I, I do think that there is a massive possibility that it it it's it's on it's it's on
1: its way home, lads. It's, it just it's is. Coming. It just get is. it ready. <laughs> yeah, make it make some space on the sofa. I think it, you're right, though. It, you know, in highly emotionally charged games, this is why I am slightly concerned about the Denmark game because I was, I was speaking about this with my partner earlier. We spend so much time, and, and as a football fan, who was, I'm constantly trying to educate myself, reading reading articles like yours, Rohan, and, and you know, reading you know tactical stuff and trying to understand that side of the game. Sometimes we do forget the factors of passion, of of drive, of just winning your jewels how how important those things are. And as much as you can you can view the game through many different lenses, there's so many narratives and ways to look at it. You can look at it from a totally old personality politics kind of way you can look at it totally tactically. I think with European tournament football like this, especially with a narrative that, you know, that no one was expecting Denmark to go this far. They're doing it for Eriksen and that's incredible. And, you know, I look at the way Simon Kier speaks. I look at the way Kasper Schmeichel speaks. These are very... Um, Top, top, top professionals with excellent mentalities, and I think yeah, okay, um, we probably have a bit more talent on our side. But I do worry about that side of the game, and I'm, I'm reserving my judgment for now. I, I, <laughs> yeah, I, I just, yeah. I'm slightly concerned about that game in terms of because it is and it is a little bit Neil Warnock, and it is a little bit Tony Pulis, but they probably do want it more than us. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, absolutely,
2: you know, yeah. I, I think it's a, this is a tough game. For England, yeah, I think I think um, I don't. Follow, I've not followed England much. You know when it's the international breaks, when when those games happen during that period, I like to watch a lot of the young players for other countries, and I like to keep an eye on them. So I've not followed England um, as much as what I should have um, over those games. I'm sure Denmark did beat England. Um, I think in around, was it December oh, or, yeah, or November? I think so. I'm sure it was a 1-0 win. So they, they have, and, and it was at Wembley as well. It's it, you, I this trust is, you, Rohan. <laughs> <laughs> it, this is a tough game. And I actually think, going back to um, what I spoke about in terms of um, Southgate being pragmatic, Denmark play with a back five. Um, they're, they're playing with a three in possession. Then when they're defending, they move into that back five system. So I actually think he will... Deviate away from the back four and move to that system as well, Um, because I think he's it's kind of trying to match the opposition and again analyzing the opponent. And I completely agree with you in terms of you know when you're winning your duels and particularly in games where it's just over ninety minutes, there is a lot of um, a lot of passion that is required as well in terms of getting you over the line. But also in the modern day, I think you know you you do have to be tactically switched on as well because if you're not. Certain teams, top teams, will be able to play around you, and um, they'll find weaknesses. But I, th- I think England will get through, but it's going to be tough. Um, I really think it'll be a close one. Not like the Ukraine game where that was a, it was comfortable from the get go, wasn't it? Yes. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. But I think once you get to the final, anything can happen, can't it? You know, it, if if Spain go through, I do think. Um, I think Italy will go through, but hypo- hypothetically speaking, if Spain were to go through, I think fatigue will eventually take its toll on them because they've played through two um, extra times now and they went to penalties as well. So um, that could be a factor. And then obviously Italy, yeah, exactly. And um, Italy as well, they've been really good in this tournament. That'll be a tough test, but you know
1: they lost Bennett Solo though, and he's their he's their massive outlet down that left hand side and exactly, really yeah. impressed, and he's yeah,
2: gone. And- and um, I think their replacement is um, is Emerson, isn't it? Emerson from um, Chelsea. So. Oh, Jesus, I don't Jesus. know if he's still there, but um, yeah, it's a massive drop off because he has been one of the top players in the tournament. Um, so yeah, it will be interesting to see how they do without him as well. So
1: absolutely, absolutely. Well, listen, lads, at some point we do have to talk about our tin pot club. Uh, <laughs> so. Uh, We'll have to do it. I, also, I love Rohan. You mentioned, it might have been in the version that we missed when Brad was on a cup and string Wi-Fi, but the, you said you've been a fan since 2006 and I'm yeah. so sorry. That is literally, that could not have picked a worse time.
2: I, know. I remember, I yeah, remember it true. as well. I remember the final as well. Um, I even remember the semi-finals as well. Not not like in-depthly, but I, I can remember it. But yeah, the final, I, I remember where you know Thierry Henry, he is my all-time favourite player but he missed some key opportunities in that game as well. Uh, you know, I've watched, I've watched it back two times as well. And I know, I don't think I should have, but it, it's just, yeah, I just wanted to watch it. And um, it frustrates so me Honestly,
1: It's so heartbreaking. don't get Brad started on that game. Do not get him started. <laughs> he'll he'll go Lehmann on. Jens as well.
0: Like So yeah. like me, me and oh, Alex okay. play football <laughs> on a Sunday and Jens Lehmann is, was my idol as a kid. Like, because I, I play in goal, I loved him. I thought he was great. And that... Yeah, that let's just say that game has pained me for the last 15 <laughs> years of my life. Yeah, it's, it's crazy
2: because, you know, it, we were close to winning. <laughs> I know that obviously, um, you know, going one nil up and then the way it kind of unfolded, Almunia making two mistakes in my opinion as well. Uh, yes. It's... it's it is what it is, I guess, isn't it? Yep. from you know? from
1: from historic catastrophes to modern day catastrophes. Arsenal <laughs> as a kind of uh, well, let's let's sort of start in a slightly more macro place. Where do you see us? <laughs> it's a massive question. I'll try and I'll try and tailor it. Where. How optimistic are you under this current regime? Let's say that. Let's start with that. I mean, what what are your basic takes on Arteta? What are your basic takes on Edu? Do you do you hold out much hope? Uh, I know there's a lot of Arsenal fans who, of course, it's the hope that kills you. But I do feel a, a certain element of just like, will this? Will we ever get back to where we think we should be as a club? It, are, are those kind of days over? What's your What's your overall thoughts?
2: It is tough, isn't it, at the moment as an Arsenal fan. Um, you know, it, it's a difficult one. I, in terms of Arteta, I don't know if you see, um, you know, a lot of things I, I put out. I, I'm a fan of his. I really do. I, I like Arteta. And, You're an um, Arteta
1: sexual, as someone what? would call you. <laughs> <laughs> it, I mean, oh, that term really drives me nuts. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I see, you know,
2: you know I, I'm a fan it's of the his. Most bad, Brexit but, term, yeah. I've,
0: it's the most Brexit <laughs> term I've ever heard.
2: Yeah, <laughs> yeah I think um, I, I've seen. I know it's difficult to. To see when you look at the table and the fact that on paper we finished eighth. And it isn't good enough for, for a club like Arsenal. But I have seen progression. I'll go into that um in a bit more detail in a minute. But in terms of the regime, I do have my worries over Edu, um, whether he is the guy who can um, be the one who can be making those right decisions along with Arteta um in terms of recruitment. You know, I, I do believe Arteta um his eye for um for what we need is is good I'm confident in that because when I look at last season and in the summer he realised that we needed a creative midfielder because of the absence of Ozil which I think um, a lot of it was down to off the ball issues um, but we can obviously we won't talk much about Ozil <laughs> um, yeah but it, I've seen, you know, we brought in Thomas Partey. We needed that kind of midfield profile since the days of Gilberto Silva. Um, and he identified that and we brought him in. We needed a centre-back, a modern-day centre-back in Gabriel. Um, and we him, brought him in as well. And um, he wanted that creative midfielder. He wanted Hossam And we weren't able to get him. And I think that was down to incompetence from Edu, um, in my opinion, um, particularly towards the latter stages of the, um, the transfer window. Um, so I have worries about him, but I also do want to give him a chance uh, this summer to see if he can um, be the man who can support Arteta in those decisions. But yeah, it, it all depends on recruitment in terms of where we can go. You know, Right now, I think there's not much optimism from my perspective, but if we're able to bring in the players that can suit the style of play that Arteta wants to implement, while he's trying to implement, then I think we can be optimistic and we can push for top four next season. I really do because there's, I mean, I guess um, we can talk about it in a bit um, in terms of the details, but yeah, I'm There's going to be a drop off, off next
0: season.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Brad, the words incompetence from Edu must just make you so happy.
0: It does. It does. I'm, I'm not his biggest fan either, Rohan. I just, I, 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 I find it difficult. I think it is as well for, for a fan. It's difficult to judge him when obviously last summer we still had Sanyehi So, how much of what can we I I kind of look from January onwards and because and, I, I but the thing that really kind of at the moment it's the going on holiday to Portugal when the windows open I'm a bit like what's going on yeah yeah I know like, it is. <laughs>
2: It's frustrating to hear, isn't it?
1: Yeah. <laughs> when, you, when you hear mm-hmm. that kind of news come out, it's even optics. I think we, we've again we've discussed this before, but it's it's an it's an optics thing. It's like you know, even even if he was there to secure a deal for the next top you know top Portuguese prospect, don't let your son film you on a jet ski. It's just you know, it's just like yeah. come on, like yeah, exactly. you know how that's going to mm-hmm. look. And I think it's sort of part of a wider thing. And I agree with you uh, generally, Rohan, in terms of Arteta. I think coaching wise I'm learning so much from watching an Arteta side like you know I, I think he makes a lot of mistakes but I think some of the things he's trying to implement are, are top class modern day things and I think he has a, a bright future ahead of him I have some question marks over his management but there, there's certainly um, the one thing that I think both Edu and Arteta can do a lot more and I'm, I'm, I'm such a banging drum about this is control the narrative you know coming on to a more specific conversation about William Saliba it's probably quite a good place to start us off obviously some stuff's come out about uh, William Saliba in terms of the last few days, potentially off to Marseille, although there's some been some talks today, literally in the last couple of hours, that um, Southampton, Newcastle want him. Uh, we can Let's delve into the Saliba conversation in just a moment. But my frustration with the whole thing is how hard can it be for Arteta or Edu to just come out and say, even if they don't believe it, to protect his value. To, to the problem is, uh, Tim Stillman said this on an Ask, recent Askcast podcast. It's it's perfect. If you leave an empty space, something will fill it. And at the moment, that something is speculation. So just come forward and say, we really rate Saliba. We think he's a fantastic player. He's got a great future ahead of him. We've offered him a new contract, and at the moment, he's decided you know, whatever you want to say, and make the make the club's position clear because that's one of the things that I think we struggle with, and you've seen it with Doozy, you've seen it with, um, mm. s- you know, certain uh, other Zill. situation, the Willian going to Dubai, there's uh, the Ursul situation, exactly, Brad, uh, there, there appears to be a, uh, uh, maybe, maybe it could be construed as a lack of, uh, the sort of Wenger-esque control of the narrative in the media, but I think there's so many channels, you know, David Ornstein, he's a mouthpiece for the club, you have so, this, you know, just put a fucking tweet out. I don't what you know. Yeah, I know. It, it, it's
2: it, it's, it's clarity, isn't it? Clarity is the key word that you yeah. that we need. Um, and I completely agree. You know, like I said, I'm a fan of Arteta, but I've I've also criticised him a lot as well um, through a lot of tweets, particularly with with the way that we went out against Villarreal. I thought that was really unacceptable from him, from a manager's point of view as well, in terms of the way he set the team up. But regarding Saliba and. Yeah, I, I'm really frustrated with this situation because I've watched him a lot. Um, I even wrote an article on him for um, the Arsenal Review in terms of looking at his performances because I've watched him on 10, 11 occasions. And this is over 90 minutes, not just compilations where you see thrown out and um, that, that kind of glamorise what he's really good at, but don't really look at some of um, what he's not um, as good at right now. But yeah, if we if we look at Saliba and we start for last, from last season... Um, He obviously didn't get um, his loan move away from the club, um, a year-long loan, because I think a report came out recently that Wrens were interested in taking him for um, a one-year loan. There was kind of um, hesitancy from their end, and then they went for a different target. And that meant that Saliba had to stay at Arsenal for the beginning of um, last season. And fine, okay, he's at the club. And at that point... I felt that they should have included him in the Europa League group stage squad. I really do. I know that he had... Um, there was the personal situation regarding him and that is going to affect players. You know, what happened with him, um, footballers just like us, they're normal human beings and things outside of football, they are it is going to affect them. But my point is, why not just include him in the squad? Because at least, you know, if he is available to play and his mind is in the right place, he, he's available for selection. And then... You, you see it during the stages where we were playing the games against Dundalk, Molder and Rapid Vienna. He was playing in the under-23s at that time. So he was playing games. And wouldn't it have been good to just see him playing those group stage games, incredibly low risk. The opposition, the calibre of opposition was poor. And it was just a good opportunity for us to see the talent that he possessed in front of Arsenal fans. You know, for Arsenal, the only game that I've seen of Saliba so far was in the preseason game against Milton Keynes-Dons. I don't know if you can remember that one last season. Um,
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. With that incredible Rob Holding own goal.
2: Yes, it was 4-2 as well. The mighty win to the Arsenal. But, um, yeah... um, and, and he played really well in that game. I know the opposition was um, was really poor. It was the I think it was the first preseason game that we had, um, and we didn't see anything else from him in an Arsenal shirt. And then moving into the January window, and I agreed with the club's decision to send him out on loan because from that moment, the Europa League—that's where it was more of the business business end of that campaign. We're heading into the knockout stages. He was always going to play a starting eleven that he's more confident in. And I don't think he would have risked Saliba in those games. You look at the Premier League, he was never going to play him in those games as well because, again, he's going to go with what he views as his strongest team or what he views as a team that's ready to play. And um, he would have probably got the odd game in the FA Cup, but we went out so early to Southampton. Um, So it was better from that moment of time for him to go out on loan, seek regular first team football, learn his trade, make mistakes that he could learn from and come back a better player. And when you look at his performances for Nice, he's been brilliant. And what I like about it is when he first went there, they played with a back three um, and he was the central defender of that system. And he was tasked to be the, the guy who facilitates progression from the back, who improves the first phase of play in terms of providing um, long balls towards the channels, breaking the lines um, vertically. He was doing all those qualities and, um, we all know how progressive he is. And then when Tadebo came in, um, from Barcelona, um, they signed him on a, on, on a loan as well. They moved into a back four and Saliba played as the left centre back. And it's obviously his preferred position is playing through the right, but I was happy that he played through the left because, It was a good opportunity for him to prove on things such as body positioning and passing into areas that are slightly more unfavourable for a right footer. And he had no problem in terms of um, providing the qualities that was needed on the ball. Defensively, what I think he does struggle with is the aerial side of the game. I've seen so many occasions where he seems to get himself in awkward positions that put him in a disadvantage in those duels. And, um, he does have a tendency to lose them on a lot of occasions. And it's quite surprising because when you look at his build, he's a big guy, he's a unit. And, um, but like there are some concerns defensively, but he's, he's only what? I think he's 20, is he? 19 or 20 years old? 20 years old? You know, he's a young guy. Um, he's one of the most progressive ball playing centre backs out there in Europe. And statistically that, that backs it up as well, um, from the eye test. Um, and that's why I think he would have no problems. In adjusting to our system, because it's very simple. Although the tactical setup to what Nice had in comparison to Arsenal's different, the philosophy is the same. You're playing out from the back. You want to play a possession-based style of football, and you need to have guys who are confident on the ball. And he he is so confident, and he wouldn't make you nervous when he's in possession. Um, and then obviously now we've, we've, um, heard that he's going to be going out on loan and it's disappointing because we were getting a lot of talk that he was going to be given an opportunity in pre-season and I was excited to see him and, um, I felt that even though We don't have Europe next season and game time would have been limited for him. I think it would have been good to just have him in the squad because if you do have, you have to consider factors such as injuries and you need to have players who can come in and who have no problems in adapting to the system. And if we got an injury to, I don't know, a Ben White if he comes into the club, which looks likely, you could bring Saliba in. And yes, there may be concerns in terms of defensively, but in terms of what we actually want on the ball He does what we need. And in fact, he improves us massively in that aspect. So it would have been good to just have him in and around the squad because I think it would have allowed him to develop chemistry with others. And, you know, it would have been good for him. So I'm a bit disappointed that he's gone out on loan. So,
0: yeah. I I, I I hear
1: that. um, Sorry, you go, Brad. I was just saying,
0: I think like you mentioned, Rohan, the biggest mistake was never including him in the Europa League squad. Because what I remember, and I don't know if this is, again, just like narrative-driven brain and memory, but like Pepe started off, playing mainly in the Europa League and obviously different players, different age profiles, but then started performing to a level and coming off the bench in the league where he then started, started yeah, for us yeah, in the league. Yeah, absolutely, And everything is so contingent. And, and like you say, like say for example, we did play him in those Europa League games and he absolutely fucking bossed it. One thing that I think Arteta's been bad at is reneging on his decisions. We've seen Willian in all 11 positions on the pitch. Purely because (laughs) the man's obsessed with making him work. Yeah. And I think that sometimes managers need to be forced into certain decisions because, you know, everyone's got an ego. Everyone wants to believe that they're doing the right thing, even when they might not be. And if we had had him in those Europa League games, and if he did perform to that level, we might have seen him included at points when David Luiz got injured. And other players, you know, and I was talking to Alex yesterday about this, like, we kept, know. I know it's different because obviously we couldn't get him out of the club at the time, but we were giving minutes to Skodra and Mustafi, yeah. and that's the <laughs> thing that boggles my brain. Yeah,
2: yeah. I, I, I completely agree, you know, like, just to have him in the squad, I know, like, mental health is massive, and... Um, Certain things will affect footballers and it can affect their their performances on the pitch. But why not just have him included in the squad at the very least to know if he is available to play. Okay, I can give Saliba minutes in this game and see how he fares in a game that's really low risk. If he makes mistakes, so what? You know, if if he makes a blunder for a goal, I'm sure we would have still been able to win that game because of the calibre of opposition was so poor. Um, and it's just and yeah going to the Willian scenario and uh, yeah I I agree I I really like Pepe Um, I think um, there's certain things I really want him to improve on such as the simple side of the game in terms of ball retention and not giving it away in cheap areas Um, if he adds that to his game I think he can be a really really good player but I think when we look at the first half of the season we played a hybrid 3-4-3 and we were kind of forced to play that system because Going back to it, we weren't able to bring in a creative midfielder, so we couldn't play Arteta's 4-2-3-1. If you remember when he first came into the club, I know I shouldn't be talking about him too much, but going back to Mesut Ozil, from the moment Arteta came in to when lockdown commenced, we played a 4-2-3-1 and Ozil started in every single game um, as that creative midfielder. And... When you look at this season, you look at the first half, we didn't have any creative options available. We had to play that system. And it was a system that didn't really help the right hand side because we were really lopsided through the left in terms of creating overloads through that area of the pitch. And that left Willian, for example, really isolated and he really struggled. But it would have been nice to have seen Pepe play a lot more in that first half of the season, see if he could have um, given a little bit more. Because I, I do think that the Pepe treatment was something that really frustrated me because you spent significant money on a player, your record signing. You've got to try and make it work um, as a manager, in my opinion. Um, even if, it's, if he frustrates you with certain things, such as his work rate, particularly for the first half of the season where Arteta wanted him to do more of that side of the game. Give him opportunities, let him start games, and like you said, he was performing well in the Europa League. Yes, you can say um, he's playing against so-called farmers, but those were the opportunities that he was getting, and he was he was doing all right, weren't he? So,
1: mm, um, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, just because no Arsenal uh, podcast is complete without a real deep dive into saliba i just want to just head back to it quickly also so i can plug my own work uh, i wrote an article for uh you are my arsenal yesterday about about saliba and i think i think it's a fascinating com- conversation and again as i was mentioning before there's so many ways of looking at any situation in life let alone this situation and i think the the one thing that does frustrate me is that there appears to be a lack of of patience which is understandable, you know, and especially in the age that we live in, in, in terms of instant gratification, you have information the, you know, the the a, any moment you can have it. I think there's a a certain um, there's a certain look to Saliba, and I think that we sort of fetishize sort of slightly. He's six foot four. He's French. He was signed in the sort of the glow of the the French World Cup win, and I think there was a there was an expectation on Saliba that I think was never fair. To spend £30 million on a guy who is 18 years old, you know, at some point may be seen as outsmarting the market, but for me, absolutely massively piled the pressure on. And I think that patience is continuously wear- wearing more thinner and thinner for Arsenal fans. And I think if I can ask anyone listening to this, you know, to to, to do anything, I think it's give him time. You know, Rio Ferdinand was... Uh, when he was twenty, was to, and I appreciate you can pick out any individuals, but these are you know these are cases certainly. Yeah. Um, Rio Ferdinand was you know two years away from even his move to Leeds at twenty years old. John Terry played six games for Chelsea. Uh, Virgil Van Dijk was playing for Grönningen. You know, especially players in that position, they take time to develop. And William Saliba, you know, ultimately, I, I, and I make this analogy in the in the piece: if you move into a house and there is a nine hundred thousand pound painting on the wall. It's a nine hundred thousand pound painting, and that's lovely. But if it doesn't work for you, if it's not working in Arteta's system, it sort of doesn't matter. Like it's it and and but but then the point is, you then have to manage that carefully. The club spent money on him, so the 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 fee for me is a is a case of you know look at the club, look at Raul Yehi. the only constant really is the Cronkies. But in terms of the management of Saliba, I do think there's there's a lot that Arteta uh, and Edu can do. And I agree with you and your points about, you know, the Europa League. The one thing I would say is he's going out on loan. Doesn't mean we can't recall him.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah. I don't think the loan's the worst move anyway. Like I think, especially if we're bringing in a Ben White, I think it is, And again, me and Alex had this conversation. I'm just not sure it's it's... I worry that with sending him back out to France and the phrase that I always come back to is what are we and what is Saliba going to learn from this? We know he can do it in France. We know he can ball out in France. So maybe sending him to, I, I, and I've seen this hypothesized and I kind of agree with it. I wonder whether we could include him in the Ben White deal and say, look, we get Ben White. We'll give you instead of 50 million quid, we'll give you yeah. 40, but we'll give you Saliba for a year. And there, you don't have to go out and buy a right-sided centre-back this summer because you that, you now have one. And learning under Potter, whether whether there was something to do around that, because I'm not so adverse to the loan move because I think playing 38 games in a season is probably going to be better for him than playing five. I just wonder whether it's playing 38 games in France when he's already played quite a few in France. Yeah. I, I, I do understand.
1: Alex, I really understand that position and I, and I actually don't disagree with it. Just to play... Devil's advocate, slightly, as all white men love to do. the <laughs> the The thing with it, the toxicity of the English media and the kind of the you know, imagine Saliba gets a man of the match performance at Brighton and we just lose two 0 to you know West Ham or something. You know, the the media narrative would just be constant on Saliba, and you know, for a guy who lost his lost his parents, has never really had you know, th- if this season if he played all the games. He, it would be his first season where he's actually played 38 games or whatever it is in France, 36, or whatever that might be. Uh, it would be the first full league season that he's played because the first season, uh, since we bought him, the first season was curtailed by COVID. The second season, he didn't go out until January. I also, you know, in terms of staying at Arsenal, if that was an option, I do understand that. And I, and I actually, you know, I, I wish he could be here. I want to get your thoughts on Ben White in a moment, Rohan. Um, I, I do I do understand that that desire, but for me, the most important thing Saliba can be doing right now, top of my agenda is playing games. I prefer it to be uh, in the UK. I think the club would as well. I've heard that the club potentially would prefer that. Um, but if he can go out and if he can if he can play a, a full league season, I think that's really, really healthy for his development. Yeah. Rohan... Um- yeah, Sorry, go going, yeah, going back to the Saliba thing, and um, I
2: think I should rephrase what I said. I, I'm not disappointed with um, him going out on loan. It's more more of a disappointment that, you know, you want to see him play, um, yep, play games yeah. for Absolutely. Arsenal. And um, I, I completely agree with you. I think with the Ben White deal, if Saliba went um, to Brighton, I think that's the perfect move in the UK for him, particularly Playstyle because... The play style, Graham Potter is such an underrated manager. It's incredible that he doesn't get enough uh, enough recognition. I think in terms of XG, expected goals, I think they would have finished, uh, I think, eighth or something uh, that high up. I think
0: with the whole like, if they'd got the expected goals, the expected points or whatever, it would have been like between sixth and eighth, or something. Sixth Stupid. and eighth,
2: and it, it, exactly, it would have been. He would have been able to play in England, and he would have been able to play in a system and a style of football that is very similar to what Arteta's implementing at Arsenal. I know, obviously, I, I say these things on Twitter, and uh, you get replies of, We are eighth. We are eighth. But um,
1: yeah, but yeah.
2: It, but, it, but the like the the ideology and the philosophy is very similar, and I, I think there's two sides of it. I can definitely see the point where. Him playing regular first-team football elsewhere is good for his development because he's still a young player. It's obviously just frustrating to not see him play for Arsenal you know, when it's been three years and we've Absolutely. just not seen him see him play. But
1: yeah. I, I, and, and that's it's so understandable. And, and also, just to go back to the Brighton thing, it's the Danny Welbeck effect. Um, <laughs> Rohan, love to get your take on the Ben White deal. Um, you know, obviously... I, I can't say I've watched many 90 minutes, but in terms of the highlight reel, looks really comfortable on the ball. I love the way he can break that first line. I yeah. love the way he's in the first phase. I love if you look at his past maps, he's he's really secure on that right hand channel. He's had yeah. Tariq Lamptey obviously to play to. What do you what do you make of the deal? What do you make of the, the player himself? You know, the the price tag has yeah. to come into it at some point. But, but I think he, he looks like the right sort of player we should be going for, right?
2: Oh, I, I really like him. I, I've watched a lot of Brighton this season because... Oh, I watch a lot of lot of football, not just in the Premier League, but elsewhere. But Brighton I have focused a lot on because they play such an attractive brand of football. And um, Ben White, he, he's a very, very talented um, young English centre-back. And he's someone who is tailored to our system, in my opinion, and um, suits the modern profile um, of player that you want. He's a front-foot defender. He's proactive. And one of his biggest strengths, what I've seen, is how... He's so comfortable in playing a high line because not only of his recovery pace, but also his knack of winning um, duels high up the pitch, making interceptions early. And that's key in terms of a team who's looking to sustain pressure and keeping a team pegged back. And like you said, in terms of first fade, he's very progressive. Um, He's very similar to William Saliba in terms of um, ball progression. I'd say Saliba probably is slightly more progressive, but Ben White, he's been under two progressive managers Marco Bielsa and Graham Potter and he's had absolutely no problems in fitting into their systems and he's been their player of the year in um, each of the two seasons that he's been there as well and that just tells you how much um, the fans appreciate him and how much um, consistency that he's provided in his performance levels in terms of the price tag it is a lot 50 million we can't we can't hide that but it, unfortunately it is just the way um way it is in terms of English players. It is. That's, that's what it is. I know. I think Ben White, for me, in terms of quality, I'd say 35 to 40 million would be, um, would be fair. 50 million is just the way it is because you look at deals that we've done. Oxlade, Chamberlain, Alex Wobby, two players who uh, we sold for massive amounts of money, but their actual quality and the types of players that they are, they don't warrant that money. Um, so it, it's just the way it is and um, yeah. I, the only concern that I had with the Ben White deal and it was just nothing against the player it was factors such as experience and um, leadership qualities and these are two things that David Louise provided us since he's came to the club I know obviously we, we, we're called a retirement home in terms of Chelsea <laughs> players um, but David Louise for me when you consider the amount of money that we spent on him you erase the Emery period where he was making continuous mistakes but I think that's also down to the way Emery set us up defensively and how exposed Ooh, very the centre backs is? exposed. exposed. Yeah. Exactly. And when you're playing in that kind of system, if you're continuously having teams transitioning through you so easily, you're gonna make mistakes. And David Luiz was making loads. But since Arteta's came in, he has been incredibly consistent. And I know people will look at the two the, the red cards that he sustained. You look at the um, the Chelsea game. That's not a red card because of the double jeopardy rule. You know, he's made an attempt to win the ball, and um, he's got punished for that. And it should have been a yellow card by the new law. And then you look at the Wolves game. He's tried not to make a challenge. There's a little bit of contact and he's sent off as well. Um, but he, he's, he's been a big player for us. And um, I think the leadership qualities that he provided for us, um, he was a big player in the dressing room when you hear what um, players say about him. For the young players as well, that's a big miss. And I question whether Ben White can give us that. But we have been going through the experience route for a while now and it's not really worked for us. So... Going for a player who just has the correct profile, not looking too much into age, maybe is um, the right way to go. And Ben White certainly fits that.
1: Absolutely, I've been. Uh, I'm a huge admirer of Clive on the Arsenal Vision podcast, and one of the things he says is uh, is around leadership. At some point, you have to give the space for leaders to grow into, and I think yeah. you know as much as you want to sign, you know sort of pre-shaped leaders, that's fine. You know, you get your granite Jackers and your David Luizes, but yep. they cost you points. They cost yep. you points and you have to give space for the for the right, as you say, the right profile of player to grow into leaders. Leaders also don't look the same. They, they can be in many different shapes and sizes. They can be in many different ways. Some people lead by example. Some people lead by approach some people lead by you know what they say and I think you know on that sort of leadershipy point I do agree that there is a slight dearth and I think this summer with the likes of Lacazette who we've heard about from young players like Smith Rowe that he was you know he's been a massive influence players like Granite Xhaka look like they're about to move on giving the you know giving the team talk for, for Switzerland you know clearly massively well respected players and I think it's an exciting time to be Probably to be moving to Arsenal because there's there's that space there's that space in that hierarchy to move on um, and uh, yeah it's it's exciting but yeah I think I agree with you especially on the English tax but I think I think you basically made the point that it sort of does work both ways like yes, you know exactly. once you if you buy that as long as you protect the asset you exactly, do get that return yeah. on the investment
0: and he's also Absolutely. a good player like it's better to be paying English tax on a player that we know is good if that makes yeah. sense like yeah. we fleeced. Everton, for the, for the money, <laughs> yeah, like, do, do, you know I mean? robbery. Yeah. Like, so <laughs> I, think, I think English tax a lot of the time comes into conversation because a lot of the players that are talked about with it are are deals that are so far over their value. Whereas this is, it's like an extra ten million pounds, which for a club of our stature should be nothing. Absolutely, yeah, um, yeah, absolutely. And also, like every club needs three great centre backs. As in, unique, it's no longer a, a double partnership. And Alex has made this point so many times. So maybe next season, especially if Saliba gets 38 games under his, under his belt, because he can play both right and left, yeah that almost would make the perfect trio. Gabriel on the left... Ben White on the right, and then Saliba, who can do both. Yeah, Brad. Exactly. Brad, makes I love you so much. This sense. is
1: the perfect. This is the perfect segue. It's perfect. <laughs> it is something you know. I think it's almost like I'm good at my job. <laughs> you are very, very good. I'll never doubt you, Brad. Uh, the uh, what was going to say? Now I've lost it. Okay, yeah. No, you've you know, it, we We mate, talk about Christ. you know partnerships and stuff, and I, and I'd love to get your take on this. Uh, sort of thinking about the sort of right hand sides uh, and the right back position. We talk about partnerships and we talk about uh, first 11s. I don't think that's the way football's going. I think, you know, it's, you, want, you want to coach a very specific philosophy, or I certainly see a, a, um, a push from coaches like Potter, from coaches like Bielsa, from coaches like Guardiola and Arteta. I see a very defined, flowing, attacking philosophy that is able to be implemented by different players for different teams. So I think that brings us to our right back position, and I wonder, Rohan. You know, I'm nowhere near your level of kind of a, a tactical understanding, and I'm just sort of trying to edify myself. But I see, um, I see us at right back, and I wonder, especially with the signing of Nuno, Nuno Tavares, and um, the potential reintroduction of, of Ainsley Maitland-Niles. There's no, there's no, nothing on the fact that he might leave. I think we have Ainsley Maitland-Niles there, who can tuck into midfield and play as an auxiliary. uh, Auxiliary centre midfield player. I think we have Tavares, who can cut inside on his stronger left foot. I think we have Callum Chambers, who has aerial dominance. I think we have Cedric, who's you know sort of all right all round. I think there's a lot of options there, and we don't even know if Bellerin might stay. Right? Do you see a system whereby, uh, firstly, do you see that that is the way football might be going? I'd love to get your take on that, and secondly, specifically for the right back position. I just wonder about that. And I wonder whether that's the sort of role we'll have. Tierney, for example, let's say Tierney, Gabriel and Ben White. And then that right back slot may just be basically dependent on 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 what we do and who we're up against. You know, Callum Chambers came in against West Ham for his aerial dominance. It's that sort yes. of thing.
2: Yeah, I, I think you make a really good point. Um, I think it's like partnerships are still required in football. For example, you don't want to tinker with your centre back partnership too much because... Um, you know, you have your, for example, next season, I think Ben White and Gabriel on paper, that looks a really good duo because you have Ben White, who's, they're both proactive defenders, but Ben White will push up a lot more. And um, he's, he's going to be the guy who's going to facilitate progression a lot more. Whereas Gabriel, he's the more physical presence. And we've seen him last season where he's been strong in those aspects. I remember the two games against Spurs, against Harry Kane. Um, he dealt with him really well. I know people will look at Kane scoring in the North London Derby at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. But when you look at that game, Gabriel, whenever Kane pulled over towards him, Gabriel dealt with him really well. And in the game at the Emirates as well, he, he commanded him really well as well. So that partnership's really good. I think the right-back situation, you make a really good point. And it's a case of it depends on who you're playing. You kind of, um, your selection depends on that and um, you need to be flexible. And we do have um, a fair selection of right-backs. I, I do think it's... It's kind of a priority for me. I do think we can improve on that specific position. Um, But I do think the market for right-backs is quite low as well, which is why Bellerin, I think, we will get a decent amount of money for him Um, because the market is really dry for for good quality right-backs. And for me, that's probably the most difficult position to play in our current system, the right-back. And the reason why I say that is because Mikel Arteta wants the right-back to play three different roles dependent on um, which phase of play. So during the build-up, when we've had Callum Chambers, the reason why he's favoured him since January is because he provides all three aspects for Mikel Arteta. Maybe he doesn't excel in any of them, but he does a good job in all three. And the first phase of play, Callum Chambers, for me, he's a centre-back, so he's comfortable in dropping into the back three Um, in possession and um, helping us with our build-up play. And then that allows the two central midfielders to play slightly um, ahead of the the three centre-backs. And then as we move forward, when we're attacking through the left, Karen Chambers will tuck inside to give us a bit more solidity to cope with transitions and in situations where if we lose the ball, we have enough cover. We have the central midfielder um, and we have Karen Chambers as well there. And um, you've got the centre-backs as well. So you've got a good screen there to deal with those situations, which is why we've been very good defensively. And um, this, the comments of Arsenal being a defensive team under Mikel Arteta, I, I don't believe that. I just think that we've, we've got a system and a structure that helps us deal with situations um, to cope with counter-attacks. Hence why the goalkeeper, um, whether it's Leno or whether it's Matt Ryan, who's came in for a few games, they're facing low volume rather than high volume under Unai Emery. Um, and then when we're attacking through the right, the right back won't just tuck inside, but he will then look to create an overload, create width, and then put crosses into the box when there's opportunities to do so. And Chambers has done well in all three aspects. But I think we can definitely improve on Carl and Chambers. And there's one name that I I, I look at um, that I think is um, gettable, whether we get him or not remains to be seen. Bradley Bradley Adams.
1: Re- <laughs>
0: <laughs> Not quite, uh, sorry. <laughs> You've thrown him there.
2: <laughs> <laughs> for, yeah, um, it's, it's the Wolfsburg right back, Ridley Baku. Um, I want you to check him out. He's, oh, yeah, um, yeah, 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 I know you're talking about. Yeah, I'll definitely um, have a look at him. Um, I've, only, I've watched him on five or six occasions, so the sample size isn't massive, but he is a player who's comfortable in build-up. He can tuck inside and he can also overlap. And he's at a good age... Um, He did really well in the under-21s as well recently for Germany. Um, Had a standout showing in the final. Um, He's someone I'd definitely look at. Max Ahrens' name has been thrown around. I like him, but I don't think he gives us all three aspects of what we need in our Teta system. Um, I don't think he's a guy who will be comfortable in build-up play. I think he can give us good width, but he doesn't give us everything we need. Um, Lamptey's a very good shout. Again, He's a really exciting one, isn't he, Tarek Lamptey? But it's a question of, again, can he do everything Mikel Al-Teta requires? Um, mm. But the thing is with the right-back situation, I do want us to look at that. Like he said, we do have a lot of options there. You know, with Ainsley, um, who we've not seen a lot of talk with him regarding a, a potential uh, departure. So we have him right now. We have Cal Chambers. Cedric, again, is um, an experienced option. Bellerin will probably leave, um, it looks likely. So we do have options there. I think um, there are other priorities that need to be addressed um, first, but yeah, yeah. We, we, we are we are fairly covered.
1: Absolutely. Also, Ridley Baku has got an elite name, so he's destined to be a, a great footballer.
2: I hope How i, I pronounced it right, right now.
1: Yeah, well, <laughs> I, I, I'm having a look at him now, but I've not come across him before. But yeah, he looks, I mean, sort of profile-wise, he's just broken into the just Germany statistically, team. Statistically, um,
0: he's, he's very good, you know, yeah. when you yeah. consider he's in like the pretty much the... 85th percentile and above for most attacking statistics for right backs, and then even on the defensive side, pressures. He's in the 94th percentile, blocks. He's in the 87th, and interceptions is in the 82nd. So, like a bit, be rough. He's he is he profiles well. He does profile very well. That's the
2: thing. I've, I've actually not seen his statistics, so that's really good to hear. But from what I've seen, from when you look at it from the eye test for me he passes my eye test now I, that that's just from my perspective but um it's good to see that the statistics as well back backs him up as well he he's a young player obviously um whether he's he's ready to play regular first team football for arsenal remains to be seen but again his profile he suits the profile that we need Hakimi would have been the dream but that's a distant oh, dream outside <laughs> outside
1: <laughs> so yeah. Last couple of things. So we we look close to signing uh, Nuno Tavares. We did a. Uh, I'm doing the accent because I was schooled on it no, yesterday <laughs> uh, by uh, M. Dot from uh, or Mario from uh, Benfica after ninety. That podcast will be coming out soon. Um, heard all about Tavares. He sounds sort of like an analogue for Kieran Tierney. I think last season we really suffered when Tierney and party went in the side because we almost had to shift our, our, especially specifically our, our our second phase and that, all that yes. sort of stuff. Yes. I think. Um, Tavares and Laconga really offer analogs to what what party can bring. But I want to come to you on what you're looking for because I saw a, a tweet earlier on from you about a central midfielder. <sighs> Say we make one big central midfield signing. I, I hope you know. I think we'll probably. I think probably with Laconga and one other person that that's going to be the case. It might not be the case, but let's let's sort of for the hypothetical. There's been names going around, Neves, Locatelli, and all those and all those profiles will mean different things for the team and, and yeah. I think it'll be fascinating to see the first um, the first big signing isn't necessarily our priority, but I wonder, you know, for example, if we signed a Neves, are we looking you know, it might affect what we're looking for further up the field, or if we're yeah. signing a Locatelli, you know, it it, it all it, it's all it's all a system, right? Who are you who would you be most excited about our signing? Yeah. or who do you want us to sign mm,
2: yeah this is a this is a really really difficult question um and um i'm really like 50-50 with it but if there's one player that would excite me it would be basuma um and it but it is really close with locatelli and the reason being is these two guys i think are very good footballers and certainly suit the profile that we need but they kind of give us different things so with Basuma in the Brighton system, um, predominantly Graham Potter, he has the centre-backs, they move out wide, and Basuma drops in between them to facilitate ball progression. Um, whereas with us, if you look at last season, let's not look at Karen Chambers when he played, but predominantly we have Granite Jacker dropping into the left centre-back role during build-up, and then you have the right-back um, tucks inside slightly, and you have the other central midfielder. So effectively, it's a different type of build-up Um, to what is on on show for Brighton. So if Basuma came in, I'd expect us to deploy a similar build-up philosophy to Brighton. He would drop in between the two centre-backs, and they would go out wide. And then in the next line, you'd have Thomas Partey, and then you'd have the right-back during the build-up. Now, that's all great, but it heavily depends on whether Gabriel can provide us with the progression through the left-hand side. Because that's what Granite Jack was providing us. Now, Gabriel, I've been really impressed with him. I watched him for Lille before he came to Arsenal. I really wanted us to get him um, because I felt that his profile was brilliant. And I think in terms of his passing qualities, he does have the ability. But when you watch him, he hesitates um, when there's opportunities to pass it forward. And the the time in which he's hesitated, that particular pass is not there anymore because they've closed it down. Um, So if he can be a little bit more proactive with his passing, then I'm all for the Basuma signing. But if we look at it on the flip side and Locatelli, now that's a signing that would mean we wouldn't need to change much in terms of our overall principles because Locatelli for Italy does the exact same role that Granit Xhaka did for us um, predominantly in terms of occupying the left left channel, allowing Tierney to go forward and effectively act as a left winger on the ball and hold the width. So it depends on what we're looking for. Basuma is someone I've watched way more than um, Locatelli so i'm going to be a lot more excited with Basuma um so if if i was to sign if i was given the chance to sign one then it would be Basuma yeah but it also it also depends on um whether that's going to affect our progression through the left hand side which is which does slightly concern me
1: yeah absolutely you know if and if we got Ben White that might be a a perfect, you know, Basuma and Ben White sort of doing yeah, the same job yeah, that exactly. they, they've done at Brighton. I, yeah. I, I think, I remember, obviously i watched sort of highlight reels and stuff, but the only 90 minutes I've watched are the two games against us. And I was really impressed with um, his his dropping in. It, yeah. Weirdly, I feel like only, only El Neni maybe does that role for yes, us. Yes, yeah, that's it, a, re- a great spot. El Neni, when he plays for us, he does
2: the exact same role as what yeah. Bissouma does. And know, I know El Neni's not... Uh, He's a very simple footballer, but he does yeah. a, he does a good job. Whenever he's pressured, I'm not worried that Elneny's going to lose the ball. I know he's going to recycle possession well. Um,
1: so yeah. he, I no, think Basuma just same. never yeah. I words. was so impressed with Basuma and, and, and the way he recovered the ball, and, and and the way you know also in really important moments, I felt like Basuma was there. And it's it's a yeah. strange one. It's quite a, it's a bit of a soft factor, but he felt decisive in defensive moments, and he was someone yes. who. It felt like Brighton looked to, to be their sort of, their man. I know Brad, you've, you love him.
0: Yeah. Oh my God. Uh, He's handsome. He's handsome as well. (laughs) That's all that matters. (laughs) Like, uh, I think it's really difficult as well. Just kind of, because you guys have spoken so brilliantly, like kind of tactically about what they offer. Like one thing that I love is it is that age old adage to kind of step away from tactics and pure like, cause it is difficult to quantify like heart desire yes. yeah. and all of these things in footballers. But one thing that I, I, I loved, especially in that, in the last game, uh, the brother Brian game that we watched together, Alex was like seeing him crunch into those tackles yeah. and be there. And I just go, that is something I feel like in our starting 11, we've missed a few points.
2: Yeah.
0: Hmm. Um, and, uh, oh, he, I, 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 to be fair, I, I, I think one one thing that, we, we you know, we've got our own little diff-knock bingo card um, <laughs> about everything. That, and, I, I you know, the fact that he is kind of from an African nation w- would worry me when it comes to kind yeah. of January. Um, but I, I think he's sensational. Yeah. I really, really do. Yeah. And I think it could be a good partnership with him and parties. Yeah. We'd obviously, like you say, have to change a few little things and yeah. have Gabrielle do a bit of a different role. But... Um, Oh yeah. What and again, could we poach two players yeah. from Brighton? Who knows? But I, I completely I completely agree with you. I think when when you just look at it away from the
2: tactile side of thing, you look at Basuma, he's good on the ball, he's so tenacious when we don't when you don't have the ball. I remember in that game as well when Pepe was running through on goal in the first half, he was high up the pitch, he lost possession, and he snaps him straight, he gets back into position and he just plays a crunching tackle. He times it so well. And in that game, he stood out again. And every time we play Brighton, Basuma always stands out. Every single day. If you look at the game, um, I think just after the Chelsea game, Boxing Day, again, Bissouma was one who stood out for, uh, for Brighton. Dominated the midfield as well. Um, if we go all the way back to Grant Jacker's... Um, Penalty incident against Brighton in 2019, the 1-1 <laughs> under Chris Hughton. Basuma again, I think that was the, that was the one of the first times where I watched him over 90 minutes, and he was incredible. And like you said, profile-wise, we've lacked that kind of tenacious player, um, that athlete, and I think that's what Arteta wants us to go move towards, moving into more of an athletic-looking midfield, um, because it can help you both defensively and offensively. So, yeah, I... I I, I'm a massive fan of him, just like you. Get both of
1: them. Get both of them. Get them all. Get them all. Come on. <laughs> Get your money out, Stan. Get your money out, uh, Rohan. It has been an absolute pleasure. We just have time, Brad, for Arsenal trivia. Here we go. Oh this God! Is like, oh no! We're going to test your knowledge. We're going to test your knowledge. Uh, we do this every every week. We just do a little bit of trivia, which just you know, just learning about the club. You know, educating ourselves. Uh, and I normally test Brad. So yeah, You've you got uh, the last two, certainly. So uh, I I'll be interested have. to Let's, see on this one. Well, we'll see. So last shall, time shall I asked I take asked my you.
0: headphones out so I can't hear and so you uh, can ask us both?
1: <laughs> yeah, that'd be good. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah that'd yeah, be okay. a good idea, that. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. So the last time I asked you, Arsenal were the first English team to name a full matchday squad, including substitutes of foreign players, when they beat Crystal Palace 5-1 on February the 14th, what year? Do you want me to repeat the question?
2: Uh, yeah, can you repeat the question? Sorry, I missed the first spot, sorry. That's
1: right. Arsenal yeah. were the first English team to name a full matchday squad, including substitutes of foreign players, when they beat Crystal Palace 5-1 on February 14th, what year?
2: Um,
1: oh, is it recent? Um, Uh, not majorly
2: not majorly no I know we beat Palace 5-1 recently I'm sure we have but I don't think no Jack Wilshere played in that game I don't know 1990
1: (laughs) Brad what's your guess 1990 Brad what's your guess I know it was
0: like mid 2000s I know it's 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 either two thousand and four or two thousand and five. It's have a guess go in my head. I am gonna go with two thousand and
1: five. Brad. It's two thousand (laughs) and five. Unbelievable.
0: That is cool. That's crazy. The studio audience are going wild. (laughs) They love for some it. reason, Rohan... That's the quality like, that is. I don't, it, know, I, don't, just, I don't know how you got that. I can't remember. It's, it's, it's Honestly, oh. it, I, I will not even remember half of the people that play for our club some days. But then I will, under, like for some reason, just remember yeah, the niche that's, of shit. That's I, I, love for Arsenal,
2: I love Arsenal trivia as well. So that would be one that i remember now for, for the rest of my life. There you
1: go. You've got to listen to the pod every week, mate. Yeah. Uh, your <laughs> yeah. next question, listeners, and uh, Rohan, for when you when you listen to the pod. The next question is... Simple one, what was Burned Leno's first ever professional club? What was Burned Leno's first ever professional club? We'll answer that next week. Rohan, it has been an absolute pleasure. Yeah. What been
2: a, a pleasure. Day. Yeah, I've really enjoyed it. You know, you, 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 you both do a good job. Uh, You've made me feel comfortable as well, so uh, yeah, I oh, really good. appreciate nice. it. Great yeah. to hear, man. It's been good chat.
1: Yeah, we'll have to get you back on. Really, yeah, definitely, really
2: Definitely, definitely. Like I said, I'm going to try that. and feature more on podcasts and um, YouTube channels, so yeah
1: amazing yeah no good luck with it all good luck with the writing good luck with the youtube videos i'm sure we'll see you you'll be the next on scene before you know it we'll see you
2: You never know if you continue to work hard uh, something could come yeah
1: absolutely do you want to just plug yourself quickly uh yeah Yeah, please um, channels everything
2: yeah i've i've have a youtube channel as well that's rj arsenal vlog um i i upload now and then but it's not been very consistent because i've focused a lot on writing. but yeah, you can you can catch me in there. But primarily, you can find me on Twitter, RJ Arsenal Blog. I write for Gunners Town. I write a tactical piece for the Arsenal Review, and also my aim through um, all these preseason games as well is um, to write a match review thread um, for each of them. It's because I'll, I won't miss them. I've not missed a game in nine years, so I'm not going to miss <laughs> miss any now. <laughs> so uh, yeah, because I know a lot of people. That there's going to be certain times where they're not going to be able to watch the game. So I think. It would be nice if I could just kind of um, give a bit of, well, it, it, what I see in the game. It's not, it's not going to be always right. Um, it's just what I, what I see in, in that particular game. So, yeah.
0: absolutely, and it's like it's like Alex always said. All a lot of this stuff is always opinion and
1: guesswork.
2: Yeah, <laughs> exactly, exactly.
1: That's all it is. We're just guessing. All right, lads. Absolute pleasure. Thanks for listening. As Thank always, keep you, it different, knock and we'll see you later. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Thank you so much for listening to The Different Knock podcast. Please hit subscribe or follow on whatever platform you're using. If you'd like to support the show, you can find us on Patreon and buymeacoffee.com, find us on Twitter at diffnock, and visit our website, thedifferentknock.com. Thanks.